0: Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Wisden Cricket World Cup Daily Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Scene, who we've partnered with deliver all of our England daily podcasts and videos for the rest of the 2023 World Cup. Starting soon on wisdom.com, Scene will be powering our new interactive videos, allowing you to easily skip to certain segments and find relevant articles, offers and opportunities by simply clicking directly within the video. Champions Trophy qualification secured. England finished their 2023 World Cup with back-to-back wins, handsomely defeating a deflated Pakistan in Calcutta, peaking just before the semi-finals. You would have taken that six weeks ago. I'm Yazrana, Rana and with me today is Mark Butcher. Mark, um, where was that five and a half weeks ago against New Zealand?
2: <laughs> oh dear, such a shame, eh? Um, it really is. Uh, I mean, you know, conflicting emotions this morning when Joss won yet another toss and decided to bat first, um, thus ending the the contest for any sort of um, qualification for the semi-finals. Um, but also, the other side of it was, at last, you know, thank goodness you stuck them in, weathered the early storm with a bit of movement, and and made and compiled runs in the way that all the teams that have been successful in the tournament have done it so far. Um, just a shame it's come uh, so late in the piece. Um, and with, with so little riding on it, uh, which is not to say it wasn't a terrific performance. It's just kind of, you know, it just, it, it kind of doesn't matter now.
1: Mm. I mean, they, they batted first, picked Brooke at six, picked Atkinson, and it turned out quite well. Um, no, no early morning grumblings over WhatsApp today. Um, <laughs> as are as asked, why couldn't England play like this four weeks ago? Tom asked, would England qualify if everyone played each other twice. I thought there was quite an interesting discussion on the commentary um, about how England were potentially spooked by how badly um, the first 10 or so overs went with the ball against New Zealand and how that almost put them off um, wanting to bat first again in the tournament. H- how pivotal do you think that was in hindsight? Because they were so poor in the opening overs of the first game of the tournament. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they potentially put that down to conditions more than they ought to have
2: done. Well, yeah, I mean, the second part of that, I, I certainly agree. Um, the first part, I don't, I don't hold much truck, truck with it, well, let alone the first one. Um, but what I would say was that in, that in the first game against New Zealand, out there batting first in what looked like pretty decent conditions, and they, they may have improved somewhat later. Um, you know, they, they failed by about 70 runs to, to to put the score on the ball that they should have made. And that was the beginning of the, of the issue with the batting. Um, you know, a lot of the talk has been around Um, The mentality being a little bit negative or not quite as gung-ho as they've been in the past. However, the first game, that's exactly what they were. And it kind of, it cost them, you know, all the batters got in. They all slogged it up in the air and wandered off. Um, And it kind of cost them a a, a defendable total. And then they bowled badly, um, you know, uh, well, pretty much throughout um, when they were defending 290. But 290 should have been 340. Um, and then maybe they could have got away with a couple of bad overs to begin with as they got into their stride and and whatever else. but all, all kinds of all kinds of sort of back um or you know sort of back trading happens after the after the event. When it comes down to it, England went there with a with a squad that was more than capable of making the semifinals more than capable. um and the fact that they've fallen so far short of that um is that there are lots there are lots of sort of um peripheral reasons around it, but the basic facts are, they did not play well enough. None of the players are in any any sort of decent form at the times when it mattered. Mm. You
1: know, I'm picking the the abundance of reasons why this tournament went wrong, and obviously a lot of key players were out of form for significant portions of the tournament. I wonder if the form of Besto um, was potentially the most significant, not just his own shortage of runs, but the knock on effect. It had on an out-of-form Joe Root always coming in early and quite often departing early. And then on Stokes and Butler um, being exposed to the new ball as well. I mean, Root scored 60 today, but he was struggling for a lot of it. But against the older ball, yeah. he was able to hang in there and provide some sort of platform for the guys after him. This was just a second time all-tournament he's not come in in the power play. And there's a great stat on TV that place. this was the first game all-tournament that Butler batted in the final 10 overs, which is his traditional strength.
2: Yeah, no, all of that's correct. Um, and I suppose if you know, if you want to keep sort of going going backwards, um, you know, you, you could say that the, the decision to leave Jason Roy at home had a knock on effect on Johnny Bairstow and and therefore they didn't get the starts that they wanted. Um, you know, that that will certainly um, rear its head, I should imagine, as an argument for people. You know, however Darwin Milan made four hundred runs and 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 was the outstanding batter for England in the in the tournament in terms of run scoring and consistency. So um you, you may have to look elsewhere there. I, I'm kind of bored of trying to think of other reasons. you know we've talked about all of the uh, all of the things sort of leading into the tournament whereby um it kind of didn't feel as it as though it was given the the sort of prominence or the you know the necessity for people to go in there sort of um, at, at, you know hitting the ground running. It felt as though you know a little bit like the t twenty we'd kind of gradually we'd gradually get into the tournament and with nine games, everything would be all right. Um and it turned out it wasn't.
1: Mm. Um, another thing that went wrong at the start of the tournament was Ben Stokes didn't play the first three games he was absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant today some of the shots um, that reverse sweep was reminiscent of the reverse sweep at Henningley off off Nathan Lyon and he, yeah. it, it was really interesting seeing him and Root at the crease together because Root was scratching around really struggling to even get off strike and Stokes was striking at 120-125 for a lot of his innings
2: yeah uh, Ben Stokes important player for England um, <laughs> shocker <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's that's why that's why there was no argument from uh, from from my corner or from most of most of the other um, pundits' corner about him being brought back for the World Cup final because he's just you know he's just a fabulous cricketer and 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 he drags other people along with him. So of course, him being missing for the for the first first three games would have thrown a few th- uh, sort of spanners in the works anyway. Um, but again, I, I go back to the fact that they they still had more than enough cover and quality around there for that not to have been something that 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 saw them win three games out of nine. You know, and you know, I, and the only thing, the only other thing on the Stokes issue really is, is that he was hobbling around like mad. I hope I hope they can. I hope this diagnosis and operation goes well and that he's and that he's fit and ready for for the test series because if you if you imagine that him being missing a huge influence in a 50 oversight side is going to make a lot of difference. You just wait and see what happens um, with, with England and, and their certainty in the way that they play test match cricket if he's not there. So that, for me, is the most important thing.
1: Mm. It was a really nice farewell from international cricket for David Willey, the guy who described himself as a team donkey before the tournament was so much more than that. In the end, in what has been a difficult period, not just for the team, but him personally, um, it was a really nice moment. I thought him getting his 100th yeah. wicket um, and he he'd batted really well as well, because he's a guy who's played a lot for England over a long period of time, but very rarely been the main man in big moments. So it was nice that obviously the World Cup didn't end the way that England wanted it to. But yeah, it, yeah. it was ni- nice. There's a nice ending for him
2: really good um and he's a you know he's a terrific wholehearted cricketer and um you know exactly what any professional would aspire to be at the beginning of of their career um and so you know a brilliant send off for him and hopefully the the offers will come flying in from from all over the world for you know franchise cricket and whatever else and he can put a put a decent pension in his pocket for when he finally calls it calls it a day um again the other side to, to David Willey having such a brilliant tournament is if you'd have turned around at the beginning of it and said that, that England's outstanding player for the tournament or the two outstanding players for the tournament would have been David Willey and, and, and Rashid. Perhaps Rashid, not so surprising, but David Willey, absolutely surprising. Um, <clears throat> and that's testament to how good he has been, but also testament to how how much the sort of more fancied and more um, highlighted and heralded players have have been, have been so unbelievably quiet. Uh, And that, you know, that kind of sums
1: it up for me. Mm. I mean, people were genuinely quite critical of England's decision to pick three left-arm seamers in the squad. And Willie was very much third choice at the start. Sam Curran played the first game. Reese Topley played the second Mm. game. And it was only when Topley was ruled out of the tournament did Willie get a good go. Um, England were good today, but Pakistan were feeble. Their, Their spin didn't really cause England too much trouble. And that's been a feature of England's tournament up until this point. Um, and then with a the bat two, they didn't really have the firepower to threaten three forty except when the tail came in and gave it a whack. Um as poor as England have been, Pakistan have had a, a really yeah. really disappointing tournament as well,
2: yeah, hugely disappointing in, in many of the same ways um that that, that England have been disappointing, you know that they're sort of the their banker batter in in Baba has been quiet um t- t- tactically, you know, leaving Fakir out.. It, it, for the for the first you know two thirds of the tournament was a huge mistake given the one paceness of the rest of the batting lineup. Um Nassim Shah going out of it at the beginning you know before it started was a major blow for their fast bowling ranks. Um however you know Harris Ralph had had a really poor tournament for him um and Shaheen was kind of a you know didn't really have the sort of tournament that he might. Um and yeah the spin department was a was a nightmare. I mean <clears throat> we highlighted this before it started that you know, Shadab is is you know form wise is nowhere with, with the ball. That Osama Mir might have been a better pick from that from the beginning. Limited chances that he had, he went okay. But in the midst of the the the, the fast bowlers not firing particularly well, he didn't fare particularly well. And of course, he dropped he dropped Kohli, didn't he, in the in the match against India, which <laughs> which is a pretty bad uh, pretty bad mistake to make um at, at that point in the trip. So all in all, they'll be they'll be massively disappointed. there's going to be an inquest here in the UK. Um, I wouldn't fancy those boys turning back to Lahore or Karachi or wherever they get off the plane because, um, you know, their, their supporters tend to get mad as hell and let them know about it.
1: Mm. Um, I mean, one of the one of the saddest things for the tournament was it's not just a sad competition for England. It's, just, it's the end of one of the best cricket teams this country has ever produced. They'll be remembered more for what they achieved in the previous seven years as, as to what happened over the last six or so weeks. Yeah. Um, do you think we almost underappreciate because it we 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 still see them so much now actually how remarkable it was for them to be so dominant for that 6 7 year period especially given england's um relationship with limited overs cricket basically going back to the very <laughs> start
2: um i i don't know i don't think so i mean i i always go out of my way to sort of pump up their tires as for what they what they've done um particularly given what had gone before with english uh, white ball cricket um, and still, and still feel that up you now that they are still some of the best players in in world cricket. Um, but the reality of it all is, is that, that none of them are getting any younger, and the next fifty over world cup is four years away, and a lot of them are going to find a lot of other other ways of, of spending their time between now and then than playing ODI cricket. So, you know, all good things have to come to an end. It's just a, a massive shame for all of them and, and their legacies and what they've done for the game that it should finish on such a bum note. And just on the future,
1: Josh Butler said in the lead up to the Pakistan game that he would like to continue um, as captain for the West Indies tour that comes up in December at the very least. I guess... It was only last year that Joe Root, in the aftermath of a similarly disastrous tour um, in Australia, he he continued the captaincy on a, on a similar tour to the West Indies timing-wise. Um, g- given that that's the only 50-over commitment between this World Cup and the T20 World Cup, and there's no big ODI commitment um, really until the Australia series in September 2024, would you be fine? I know you said before that you'd probably move Butler on from the captaincy. Would you be fine... For the for the short run that Butler um continues in the role um I guess until the T twenty World Cup finishes in in May June
2: yeah possibly I mean I think the conversation that, that needs to happen between himself and I, I guess it would be Rob Key is is you know what how does he feel his commitment is for for getting to the to the medal cup and if he and if he Feels as though as a player he wants to be there. Then the next question is, what? How do you feel about being being captain pre- between now and then? And can you be committed to rebuilding a team in your image, um, much as Owen did after the 2015 World Cup? And if the answer to either of those two things is no, then um, then it's absolutely fine for him to continue. You, you'd have to kill to have him in your team for sure. But starting in December and to a very about okay who is going to lead this thing forward because it doesn't it's not something that gets built over the over the last six months before a tournament as Owen showed it, it it's uh you know you you go in there you decide the style of cricket you want to play you decide the type of players that you want in that eleven and then you and then you instill in them that belief one hundred percent in the method and 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 you go forward and give them every every opportunity to do it and if Josh is wavering even slightly in terms of well you know I might not make it to to twenty where are we twenty twenty seven any of those things he's not one hundred percent sure about, then you then you then you move him on. And for, you know, and this is just my five pennies worth for for whatever it is worth. I I would I would I would say to him, we're gonna we're gonna get somebody else to do it. But, but that's just that's just my thought on the whole thing. Um, we we want you around the one day international. We want you to play. We want you to be the brilliant player that you are. But we're gonna we're gonna look in a different direction to build the thing until until twenty. 20- However, I'm not entirely sure that that's what's going to happen. I think, but he has to be 100% sure that he's going to make it, um, particularly if he's going to catch in the side.
1: Mm. Well, cheers for your time, Butch. That's it for this bit of the show. In part two, uh, Ben will join me to talk about Bangladesh Australia. Ben, that's a pretty good win for Australia, comfortably chasing over 300 without Maxwell in the team. A massive 100 for Mitch Marsh, 177. Uh, not out. It looks like England aren't the only team peaking at the right time.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, basically the perfect game that Australia could have asked for to just ease them into that semi-finals, Bangladesh sort of putting up like enough of a challenge that it feels like a proper run out, but not so much of one that they'll be too tired or overexerted to come that semi-final game. And yeah, a really, really nice moment for Mitch Marsh, who, you know, is having a brilliant year, but has had a tough couple of weeks with his, his granddad passing away. That was why he flew um, away from us, uh, away from the World Cup for a bit, and he's 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 back now and, and back in the same form. Um, and I guess also, you know, he has been in. He's had a good World Cup in that he got that that century uh, in that massive partnership with David Warner early in the tournament. But that was his only score above sixty, I think. So it's just good to have him ticking uh, this off. So yeah, the perfect game for, for Australia being able to rest Glenn Maxwell. And I feel like Glenn Maxwell resting just makes his uh, his innings against. Afghanistan all the better. Like if he can seem like he's more and more depleted from that innings, then it's a uh, it makes that seem a uh, all the more extraordinary that it did that and start having a bit of a rest as well. So yeah, um, uh, everything sort of taking along nicely for them. Seven, seven wins on the bounce, and uh, even though um, I guess South Africa finished second in the group, Australia might go into that as as slight favourites considering the seven wins in our own, but That would be a cracking game, I think.
2: Mm.
1: I guess for people who didn't get up at the crack of dawn to watch it, it's noteworthy that Bangladesh scored 300 runs against Australia. Talk us through how that happened.
0: Well, I mean, I guess lots of guys got starts and no one kicked on to the to the score that would have maybe taken them to something that might have actually challenged Australia. Um, so you had, yeah, the Openers both getting 36, kind of represents it pretty perfectly. And actually what really hurt them as much as, you know, Zamba Brold really, really well took... Uh, two for thirty-two; those those middle overs wickets, no one could get them away. But also two run-outs from uh, from Marnus Labuschagne really pegged them back through the middle, um, and that could be notable come the the sort of shakedown for semi-final selection. Labuschagne's been ever-present throughout this campaign, but it's actually um, they haven't had a full-strength side to pick from, I think, through the whole tournament. And then when Maxwell and Stark come back in, I suppose it'll be two from Smith. Labashain, Stornis, Smith made a good half century, Stornis obviously off something with the ball but Labashain with that in the field and just the fact that he's just been around it will be interesting to see what they do. I guess for Bangladesh they might take a, a small crumb of comfort from the fact that uh, Toward Prudoi scored 74, looked alright looked on track for a century before he he gets out but they're really really small crumbs of comfort for for Bangladesh to take. I mean they came into this tournament as like reasonable dark horses for the semi-finals. like i don't think it was ridiculous looking back that we were saying that and when you go through the just the stats for it there's only one guy you could say he's had a good campaign and that's the 37 year old marmadulla who's batting at number five and six like it's been really really bleak and then, yeah, when, when you add on to that like one of the things that made us think they could be quite good was they were building this sort of stable of quicks and now alan donald has left you hope whoever comes in will be able to carry on that work and this is the last tournament it must be for that generation of, you know, Mushfika, Shaqib, obviously Tamim's gone, Marmadullah as well. And although there are a couple of bright players, they have not had good tournaments and you struggle to see them putting in those consistent contributions to kind of uh, replace what they'll be losing at some point in the near future, I guess.
1: Mm, Yeah, I guess with Bangladesh, it's almost, even if they get into that top eight, it looks like they probably will finish in the top eight. It's more how little they challenged the the bigger teams <laughs> it, that's the most disappointing thing I, I don't think it's a massive surprise they they finished eighth or finished seventh eighth or ninth but it's more how how uh, infrequently they challenge the best teams that that that's the most disappointing thing really what do you think about australia's chances india are obviously the the favorites for the competition but how how do you see australia do you, do you think australia are the most likely um rivals to to india like they they're they're, a, they're not a perfect team but um, they, they do have a lot, of, a lot of important players in pretty decent form at the moment. And they also have just a lot of collective memory of winning big games. A lot of that team have won um, World Cups in all three formats.
0: Yeah, uh, weirdly, I, I, th- I think I would make Australia slight favourites to beat South Africa. I think they're almost a slightly more rounded team and partly just because of the depth of the rounds that they have. But I'd almost give South Africa a better chance against India because I think if you're going to beat India you almost need one or two guys to have one of the games of their lives. And I think that, especially in that South Africa top six, you have players who, whose ceiling at the moment could be that. I mean, if you look at David Warner, for example, he's had a brilliant World Cup, but he's, he's having a brilliant World Cup kind of on muscle memory. We know that what issues he's got, and we know that he's a very good uh, compiler of runs when conditions are in his favour, and conditions are not going to be in your favour when you face India, whereas you know, someone like Quinton de Kock, Aidan Markram, Heinrich Klaassen, I can see them having like a, a big showing against India in a way that I maybe can't see as much from that Australia lineup. but look, they're, they've really kind of, they, they have obviously hit form at the right time, as you said at the beginning, and Zampa being in form actually is, that is quite big. I mean, Stark's not obviously hit the heights, but that pace attack could, on their day, take a few wickets early on, and then if you're on the back foot against australia then you're not going to be able to push on ahead against zampa very easily and then you can easily find yourself actually scrabbling up something competitive rather than putting up something imposing so yeah there, there's there's definitely a chance that any one of these three teams i guess in the semi-finals could be india on their day you know india are the best team in the competition uh and by a considerable considerable distance but you know We've seen enough to suggest that they might just be beatable. And I guess, yeah, I'd put South Africa slightly above them just for that reason, but they've they hit form at the right time.
1: Mm. Either way, that, that semi-final uh, should be fascinating viewing. Um, that is everything for today. Cheers, Ben. We'll be back for our last group stage daily tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wisden Cricket World Cup Daily Podcast, powered by Scene. Once again, Scene are... Our video partners on wisdom.com helping us to deliver a more engaging and immersive viewing experience across mobile, tablet and desktop. Head to the link in our description to find out more about them.
2: Sports Social Podcast Network